0: hardcore troubadour episode zero
1: yeah i am uh very excited to uh to get this started and actually get into the actual records but i'm uh i'm i'm pretty stoked to go through this conversation because i think i think uh how people discover folk music and um americana and country is typically pretty unique especially in the um in the punk and hardcore world um because a lot of us, I feel like, run away from music like this when we're kids. Yep. and um, I think everybody has like a, a very like I to me like one of my one of my favorite things about this whole journey I've had in um, in like alternative country and um, folk music and whatnot has been like sort of a reminder that like it's okay to be new. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay that it's the first time I've heard this. It's okay that I didn't know who Guy Clark was. It's okay that I didn't know like a lot of these things. Um, but then also like as you go on, you realize you're like, oh shit, like I know this song. I didn't know I didn't know that they did this song originally.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Like
1: um, like Billy, uh I, I love Billy Joe Schaefer now. And I didn't realize that "Black Rose," the Waylon Jennings song, is the Billy Joe Shaver song. And now I really like Billy Joe Shaver. Oh wow! Um, yeah. You know what? It's fine that I just found that out like three years ago.
0: Totally. I mean, I ha- I knew, um, I knew "Downtown Train" as a Springsteen song for however long before I knew that it was actually Tom Waits that wrote that song. You know, know, I didn't know that
1: either. So there we go. We both just learned things.
0: Exactly. And his version Um, is, is different, but awesome. So yeah. Like, I think that's a fantastic example.
1: Yeah. So, but, but Brian, who are we?
0: Yeah. I think before we go too much further, you should know who the hell you're talking to. So um, let's get started. Yeah. My name is Brian Wallace. um, And I think I want to start by first just like talking a little bit about like what led Tyler and I to want to do this podcast and kind of go on this musical journey together. And then we'll kind of go a little bit deeper into like who we are and and how we came to have a relationship with this music. But as you could probably tell from the name, Hardcore Troubadour is a reference to a Steve Earle song. This is a Steve Earle focused podcast won't be exclusively but i think steve is like the the literally the first conversation that tyler and i had the first time we we (laughs) met in person tyler was wearing a steve earl shirt and other than literally nothing else about like the bands that were playing at the fest we were at that day the record that he put out for my band like his two bands, both of which I love. Like, yeah, I, I want to talk about all that. But first, I was like, "Oh my god, I got a Steve Earle fan here!" And just <laughs> like immediately feeling this sense of kinship. Um, so that's like that was like that was our first in person interaction, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. I, I
1: that was literally met you, started talking about Steve Earle,
0: started talking about Steve Earle, and like
1: I had I had I only had interactions with. um, with chad and um um fuck what's your other guitar player's name aaron the One. aaron the one who does yeah. uh, is he the one who does the graphic design and shit or is that your bass player
0: uh drew and aaron both drew drew yeah. Drew's the one yeah. Drew's the
1: one who i emailed back and forth with a ton i couldn't yeah. remember uh um couldn't remember what you guys all played um uh because i've only gotten to see your band once and i put your record outside on fucking yeah. <laughs> scene um, <laughs> which we which we deeply appreciate me too yeah, it man. was that's our first uh or no that was i think our second full lp the first we i'm not i don't want to talk about anymore because that band's done um right. but uh <laughs> um but yeah um my name is tyler short and i do vocals in several um punk and metal bands inclination being my primary well i'm a primary band because that's kind of the side project it's the one everybody knows And then I'm also in a band called Constraint. And then I do some other things. But uh, other than that, I uh, run Life and Death Brigade Records um, with my partner. And uh, yeah, I'm a huge music guy in all all realms. And that kind of led me to... paying way too much for a Steve Roll shirt and wearing it to a fest that yeah. I was pretty sure no one would even know what it was. And then I met you who was the, the sole person who knew what it was.
0: Well, I you didn't know that, uh, you know, the, one of the dudes uh, in a hardcore band from New York city, whose record you had put out was actually a redneck from Tennessee. Um, yeah. I didn't know so, that. <laughs> so that's, uh, I'll get into that a little bit more, but I feel like, so months later, I was going through some posters that I have that are not currently up in my apartment. Um, Had to be very selective about that, especially now that I have a son who took over, you know, what used to be my like music library, party, office, whatever room. Um, He's sleeping in there now. And I found from a few years ago, I got to go to a benefit show um, that at least pre-COVID, Uh, Steve was doing annually here in New York um, with Jason Isbell, Amanda Shires, like a a few other guests. Both incredible. Yeah, a really awesome benefit. And um, after the show, which was all for charity for a a school that's focused on kids with special learning needs and on the autism spectrum, um, got to hang around and talk to Steve for a minute and he signed the poster for me. Um, and I was thinking about our conversation back in Tulsa and just kind of was like, you know what, I want to give this to Tyler as a small token of appreciation for, like you said, putting out a record site unseen. Um, and so send it your way. And I think coming out of that, you and I started talking more and, you know the idea for doing this podcast was yours but as soon as you presented it to me i was like yeah that sounds like a lot of fun
1: it stuck in my crawl from the moment i kind of joked about it because we just were texting like i was texting like a like a like a little kid with a new friend like i <laughs> i was like 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 constantly like looking at my phone i turned it on vibrate which it's never even on vibrate because i didn't want to miss your text oh. so i wanted to keep the conversation <laughs> going yeah yeah um, but yeah, no, and it was uh, it was just exciting. It's it's something I never get to talk to anybody about because even even friends of mine who like you know similar stuff to this nobody's nobody's got the fandom for Steve Rolick like I do. Yeah, because um, I spent the first from when I became musically aware in my maybe late preteens, like early early teens 12 13 14 all the way to age 25 saying Dylan was my favorite songwriter I I just I I I love Dylan I have so I I have such an appreciation for so many of his records some I don't give a shit about some don't do anything for me some don't move me at all and then others have just not a single track I can skip and Mm -hmm. um I spent all that time just, you know, always thinking like, you know, when it comes to songwriters, like Dylan is my favorite songwriter. He, he had always had something great to say. Um, Even if a bunch of what he sang about was totally fucking made up. (laughs) um, Like to a certain extent, so many of his songs were just completely made up and just like lines he thought sounded cool. Yeah. But um, you know, with certain songs that he wrote, you know, times are changing hurricane, like just really writing songs about things that were, um actually like um like i, I hate the term reaction i hate that the term reactionary gets a negative uh a negative connotation with the mm-hmm. current political uh landscape but i think like reactionary is like like another way of like being radical like right it's, you're reacting to something to injustice and mm-hmm. i think that that um, I hate that the, that the political right gets a monopoly on violence and uh, reactionary um, uh, attitudes, because I think that, you know, reactionary can also be hitting the streets because, you know, a, a black kid gets killed for no reason. And I think that's, uh, and so to me that was, that was Dylan spoke to me Dylan spoke yeah. to that, uh, that aspect of me. And then pretty much what I, I heard a few Steve Earl songs and I, I thought it was. I thought it was cool, and I started getting more interested in, um, uh, in you know, country and folk in general. Like I started falling into like some of the the current stuff that's going on, like Sergio Simpson and mm-hmm. um, uh, Coulter Wall.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And around that same time, I was introduced to Steve Earle, and I can I, I, I even looked it up because me and so I had a roommate. It um, I had a roommate. It was a guy I worked with who it was a pretty wild house. So we basically, none of us had anything in common except for the fact that we lifted weights Yeah, uh, together. Um, except for, I, I worked with one of my friends and then I actually, I had somewhat of a tumultuous past relationship. There's this kid I went to school with who kind of beat up one of my friends and I always thought he was an asshole. And then he, uh, he got clean. He actually, I think he went to one of the Scientology rehab centers actually, but he oh, came out of it lifting weights. And, yeah. uh, and that was a positive thing that kept him off drugs. And um, I kind of hooked up with him, you know, having like a very like negative connotation with him from my past, but mm-hmm. we got to working out and I, I have this weird thing where sometimes like I can fall in with somebody if, if, if they have no one else, mm. like, I've I've had several friends in my life that I'm I'm basically their only friend. And um and that was like a chapter of my life where I became this guy's basically only person who hung out with them for a yeah. little while. And um but from there I roped one of my uh coworkers into coming to work out with us, and then that led to us living in a house together and we'd stay up and play chess and shit. And um we I started letting my older roommate paul kind of wa- hold my hand and walk me into um country and folk outside of you know what i was raised on which was you know just basically dylan and john prine like that was yeah. my my growing up my dad my dad smoked weed with john prime when he was a kid um which is an incredible story
0: my dad would um, have if he had the opportunity for sure <laughs>
1: uh well john prine's from kentucky and my yeah. dad happened to go see john prine in a venue that's been leveled since but he went with this girl who was uh, like a distant cousin to john prine Shit. so he got to go hang out with him on the bus and of course john prine's just going to be smoking weed yeah, nonstop, right so uh illegal smile and whatnot um but uh but yeah so like that was my like intro to um to folk music and whatnot and like i mean i sure i like like other things like i um like connected to dylan my parents had the bob dylan 30th anniversary at madison square garden uh vhs double yeah. vhs yeah they would uh they would watch it all the time and like tom petty's on that and neil young's on that uh neil young does an awesome rendition of all on the watchtower and just like tom thumbs blues And I even in one of my old bands, I stole lyrics from Tom Thumbs or Tom Thumbs Blues. So, uh, oh, that's awesome. I just, you know, forever I was obsessed with Dylan, and it was around like that time when I was living with um, my my roommate Paul that he we would just hang out and he would make me he would just add stuff to this playlist on Spotify, and I still have the playlist on my Spotify, and I searched it to see what Steve Earl songs he put on there. Yeah. To, to remember like what were the first ones cuz the three that i can remember hearing were uh were Texas Eagle okay um his cover of White Freightliner Blues um he put a lot of the, that Del McCoury record on the mountain or whatever so uh, uh Dixieland was one of the early ones i heard and I feel all right yeah and uh and um i think there were a couple songs of El Corazon too but I I liked it. I really liked it, and I thought it yeah. was badass. And I remember I feel all right connecting with me a lot because I, I was like, damn, like this this rocks. I miss rock and roll.
0: Yeah, like because at that it point it doesn't exist you, anymore, right? And I'm assuming like alongside all of this, right, was you know you being like immersed in hardcore, like outside. Oh yeah, I mean out. I've been i for right. from age 18 yeah to
1: 28. I lived and breathed hardcore
0: right like sure I got
1: I went through spells where I get into this hip-hop record or I'd you know get into this punk record or whatever but like I lived and breathed hardcore hardcore was all listened
0: to. so this is happening like parallel to that yeah yeah Yeah.
1: and um it was just this new thing where like when I was you know growing up I was raised you know aside from the little bit of folk music I had I mean I've got a Credence Clearwater Revival tattoo on my back like my whole back oh, yeah. tattoo is that so like I like loved rock and roll I've yeah. loved rock and roll my whole life it's one of the things that got me excited about punk music is because it was it had this attitude and it really it moved yeah. and um and it was it was music that I right. could go see that was happening and popular music at the time was boring as shit like Mm. no one was playing guitar anymore nobody was doing anything like like interesting and i think that was kind of me me finding steve roll and me like listening to country with my roommate kind of opened me up to oh my god like when rock and roll stopped essentially because it did it stopped in the 70s and 80s and turned into hair metal and whatnot and you know what that's where popular music went and then it you know got into grunge and whatnot. If if I wanted to hear rock and roll, the closest thing, the closest people who are playing rock and roll now are the country guys.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah.
1: Like no one else is playing rock and roll like that. Like there's a few, like, you know, like people on the fringe of the punk scene that play a kind of rock and roll but like nothing nothing that's like surly and like fighting music that was the thing is I wanted well, to hear music that sounded like a bar fight
0: well and I, and I think I mean knowing about like you know your love for credence too like I mean rock and roll is southern music right its roots are southern its roots are in blues and country. Blues, yep, and so it's interesting, you know, like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, can fall under this broader category of rock, you know, all the way from like, you know, alternative indie stuff, all that kind of stuff. But the the I knew exactly what you're talking about, right? Because this kind of rock and roll, even if the band is not southern, still has a tinge of that like southernness to it, right? Because there's that, I don't know if it's a you you, call, you could call it fight music, you could call it swagger, but there's something there's something there that is both distinct but also very clearly connected to like the punk and hardcore that we love, right
1: yes it's yeah. got an attitude yeah,
0: exactly yeah it's
1: got a fucking attitude and that was and, and I think that was what drew me to uh to the steve Rose songs that were on this playlist which i looked the playlist is like 19 hours of music so wow. like,
0: yeah it's amazing
1: <laughs> like we would just we would just put that shit on shuffle and we would eat fucking giant steaks and play chess and they would smoke cigars on the porch and like i was you know straight edge me um but uh I love this. Visible. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it was, it was an awesome fucking time. Is yeah. we and around that time? Cause I was, I was, you know, I worked my, my, roommate, Paul was my coworker. We would, uh, we would like go to work. We would work some of the same shifts. We'd take our breaks together. We even had this joke where in the break room, we, every day for lunch, we would get a big salad and we would, we would go to the break room we'd eat it, and we would go, these are our salad days. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like this super stupid joke we had we'd say we'd literally say it all the time we thought it was so fucking funny we were so stupid <laughs> but um but yeah I mean those were those were like that was you know he's married now um yeah like I own a house <laughs> like it's wild growing right up like those were the salad days like I still get to do fun cool shit and go of tour course. and um you know stage dive and get hurt but uh but yeah, like that was like one of those last moments of my life where I feel like I had like a brotherhood. Yeah. Like you have when you're a kid. Um, and and yeah, this music, um, it
0: like keeps you connected to that mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Yeah,
1: no, it absolutely. It's, it's so, it's such a, it's, it's such an, it's a nostalgia thing for, you know, just the last moments of my life when I was like feeling like a free spirit Yeah. more than what I, you know, I still feel like a fucking free spirit. I still, express myself to the fullest and, uh, and, you know, do what I love and get heated. I still get angry. Um, I still get happy. I still cry, still do all the things, uh, that make me a human being. But, um, but yeah. And, and I think like with the, with the Steve Roll songs, like in hearing them and like being like, Oh my God, like this sounds like fight music. Like this is a fight fucking riff that riff. And I feel all right. Is a fight fucking riff. Yeah. Um, and then when I started to think like, well, shit, like I, I'm going to start feeling my way through these records.
0: Mm. And
1: I don't know if you ever do this thing, but when you like something, do you ever get afraid to listen to the next thing? Because you're afraid you're not going to like it like you like this thing?
0: No, <laughs> but, I, but I think I, I do that. I, I become I obsessed with
1: one record and yeah. I get so afraid to jump to the next one because I'm afraid it's not going to hit the same way or it's not going to hit me at all right and because it's it's happened before i mean it happened like nine inch nails great example pretty hate me pretty hate machine is a perfect fucking record i can't listen to a single other nine inch nails record really doesn't do anything for me
0: that's amazing
1: and i think nothing
0: it's especially there's an especially high risk of that i mean you talked about dylan earlier right but when you're talking Mm -hmm. about any musician or artist that has just a huge catalog right like that's it is inevitable that there's going to be some misses or things that even if they're not misses they just don't hit you the same way yeah that they hit i others. mean and
1: that's and that's kind of why i wanted. well first of all it's why i want to do this podcast period because i think that having things like this is really nice for people who are uninitiated because we're not experts in this not at all we're just fans yes but also absolutely. though because i know there's steve roe records that you don't connect with that
0: i'm going to make you connect with motherfucker yeah <laughs> And I'm excited for that. And I am I'm excited to like, I think this is an opportunity to like, one, like force me to do some, some homework and like revisit some things that I might have like, you know, just kind of cast aside after not feeling connected with it. But two, like it's inevitable. You, you gain an appreciation for something when you hear why somebody else appreciates it. Right. Yeah. Like th- this is an off the wall fucking example, but like, like trance house rave music, right? When I, I, I hate it. When I was growing up, it was like consistently a thing. I made like the butt of jokes, like, you know, like, cause I was like a cool punk rocker and these were like the dorky raver kids or whatever. But now growing up, even though I still, I do not want to listen to electronic music. It's just not something that I enjoy. I have close friends that when they can explain to me similar to what you were talking about, how like this record, this show, whatever connected to this moment in their life, even if I don't love it the way that they love it and probably never will, I have such a deeper appreciation for it, especially, especially when you're at an age where you've, you know, I'll speak for myself, but I think a lot of, you know, older punks and hardcore kids go through this, like, you know, I'm done being mad at what other people like. You know, that was like a childish thing when I was younger, like in, obsessed with like some notion of coolness that I had, right? And now I'm much more like, "Hey, juggalos seem really fucking happy. That's awesome, dude, <laughs> You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, they take care of each other. That, that's that's awesome. all. They take like care of each other. Yeah, dude. yeah. Right. So it's and that's something that 20 years ago I would not have said, but now I know for that sure. Understanding, well, it's,
1: right? And it's 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 so much of a like. A, a need and a desire to feel like you're going your own way, right? That um, you don't want to feel like you're following anybody else, mm-hmm. but everybody's following somebody else. Of course, we all want to belong to something. And it just sucks that some things that you find yourself belonging to build walls between you and other people. Yes. Um, Such a good. Point. And yep. it's, it's funny because it, you think you're building that wall because you want to keep those people out of your thing but you're really building a wall, keeping your people in the thing. Mm. And once you trap somebody in something, they're going to try to break out.
0: Yeah. Like you've got it's, this. I, yeah. Go ahead.
1: Like I noticed it with, with, with hardcore, like you, you get um, in, in straight edge too. Like uh, I, I, I used to say this all the time that um, it, it's something that I, I thought of when, when watching uh, Friday night lights. Cause one of the things they say in Friday night lights all the time is Texas forever. Mm. Um, and they're like, Cause they're all about football. They're living, they're breathing football. And it's funny because uh, when you're like, when you're a kid and you're like, it, it's very, very, very similar to that. It's like, you're living, you're breathing this, like this football dream. Yeah. And then when, after a few years, your body's done or you've got to go get a real job and you got to leave that shit behind. Right. But there's this weird thing with straight edge, especially too, where like, nobody says like i'm straight edge for the next six years right
0: yeah 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 <laughs> like,
1: so it creates this weird thing where when you stop being a thing or like like you know you, you say hardcore you know you're you're a hardcore per- like you're a punk or whatever and then when you start to like grow up and mature out of it you almost get this like um the, the term I, I always hear for is hardcore guilt it's mm. like you've got this like you stop associating with it and because you feel guilty that you're not associating with this thing that used to be something that you would like say like oh this is gonna be my life like i'm living i'm breathing this
0: yeah you
1: now like basically act like it never happened
0: Mm -hmm. and it's like
1: you know what you can just come and go and take what works for you and like what you like and be around and you don't have to no one feels weird right And if they do fuck them
0: totally like that need to if if you have you know, grown out of a thing or moved on or just start in a different phase of your life. That thing that happens where you feel a need to then disparage that place you came from rather than either appreciate it, you know, for what it was or just, I, I think, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good hardcore songs with lyrics that like really speak to that. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we, we mature at different paces, you know, I'm thinking, about a and, lot of things like that yeah
1: and on the line of like rejecting the unfamiliar or rejecting something outright like i think like with punk and like its relation to like country music and mm-hmm. and folk music like i know i um one of the things i i there's a there's a line in a drive by truckers song um where uh he talks about how he rebelled against the music that was played in his high school parking lot mm-hmm and he was talking about Skinner, Um Yeah. And, uh, and he's talking about how like, you know, it wasn't until years later that he kind of understood what Skinner was doing and what Skinner was saying. And um, like any, he, any he acknowledges the fact that like the rebel flag, like was used by both sides, like the fans and the detractors mm. and nobody really understood what that actually meant to the band so mm. it got used by a bunch of people who were like yeah fuck yeah man yeah. and then it got used by a bunch of people like oh fuck those guys they're racists right because they've got a rebel flag and it's like to understand that there's like there is some nuance here even if the nuance is completely fucking uh, like um, misdirected yeah like it's, it's 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 again it's you know you can't hold people to account of information that they don't have right And for me, that was, that was country music was like, I was completely ignorant and thought it was like, Oh, that's just for like rednecks who drive trucks. And here I am. I drive a truck. Um, (laughs) Like at 33 years old, I drive a truck. Like I would have fucking, I would have been so pissed off and thought I was the biggest fucking loser if I knew that I was like driving around listening to country music in my fucking truck. At 33 years old. My first car uh,
0: was an 82 Ford F-100 and I would give anything to have that again. Although I don't don't know how I would fucking park it around here, but that's another story for another day.
1: (laughs) That's the, you were uh, Memphis, right?
0: Memphis is, yeah, Memphis. Memphis and then in, in high school, I was in a town outside of Memphis called Olive Branch, Mississippi.
1: Okay, because that's, yeah, because they are close. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. yeah um, but, well,
0: I did want to say though, Tyler, to that point you were just making though, like this, there is this kind of like, you know, whether we call it gatekeeping or something like that. Like I both like, just to speak like in hardcore, right? I both despise it. And also can recognize at its core, there's something in there about like, hey, there's something here worth protecting. And even if I like am expressing that in a really negative or shitty way, I think a lot of what comes from it, sometimes it's just like jealousy, like, hey, I found the thing and and you don't get it. Like, you know, but I, but I can also relate to like, you know, like they're just being a, uh, a a worry sometimes of like, Oh, you don't see this as much anymore. But I remember a lot of times experiencing like a, Oh, when, you know, when hate breed was on MTV, you know, and we're watching the video from, for, I will be heard me as a, you know, 20 year old, both feeling like so fucking stoked out of my mind. And then also like, Oh, here come the idiots to the show. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, what does any of this affect me? Because now yeah. I also know how many of my friends and people that I love and people that have, you know, done way more for hardcore over their lifetimes than I ever have. That was their entry point. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I've got to, I, I, am just to, to your point, it's all very nuanced. And I think it's like, so awesome. I appreciate you sharing the story though, about like, you know, as as I'm thinking about your friend making you know a playlist for you that's like country, folk, Americana, and that's where you you're getting deep into Steve Earle. There are so many like parallels there to like hardcore kids making each other tapes and mm-hmm. CDRs. And I'm thinking both me getting into hardcore and me getting into Steve Earle was having people in my life that were like deliberately taking the time to share this with me and doing like what you are saying going like dude i'm so excited for you to listen to this record i, I want to hear what you think about this you know Yeah, and no, like, dude it's yeah. it's
1: i and, and that's always been my um there's there's on the subject of gatekeeping like to a certain extent like it is it is nice to have people have to prove themselves mm. and prove that they're dedicated to things And prove that they care, they want to be there. They're not just, you know, fair weather, they're not gonna, you know, this isn't just a trend and whatnot. Is it is important sometimes to, I feel like, have a little bit of a wall up. And I'm never gonna be that guy. Mm -hmm. But there'll be enough people with their walls up that's that if somebody wants to, if if people are gonna be made or, or broken. Yeah. Other people will provide that. I'll be the person who wants to show you everything.
0: Yeah. And and I'll can... always be
1: that person. Totally. So if you can make it through the gate, I'm, I'm the concierge. I'll, I'll be right here to <laughs> hold your hand and, sh- and tell you to listen to underdog, tell you to, you know, tell you to check out bad brains, like yeah. make sure you're checking out the second Chromex record. Like, you know, like, Tell you like, hey, you know, don't listen to anybody if they tell you this sucks. Like, you make up your own mind. Like, exactly, yeah, you do, you like, um, and uh, and just everything can be for you.
0: And I've just like, I love that, and I've just had the experience too. I was talking to a buddy of mine about this the other day, of like seeing like a younger hardcore kid that me and my friends were very nice to and welcoming to and obviously like they're here they're still around after all these years but then the weirdness of like seeing them kind of be a dick to somebody else and I them to be like hey don't 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 try to be a cool guy right now you know what i mean like we're everybody starts somewhere and um it's just fascinating the more we talk even though there's so many things that are different both about you know there's the I've got like all these Venn diagrams in my head, right? Of like the similarities and attitude between hardcore and country music, um, but also the differences, but even like culturally, right? Like one difference, I was thinking about this when I thought about like, i have now have the experience of when I go to hardcore shows, often being one of the older people in the room the last couple of times I've gone and seen Steve Earl, I'm pretty sure I was one of the younger people there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And just thinking like sitting in between like those worlds. Um, you made me think of that earlier when you were just talking about like, yeah, you know, at a certain point in your life and like what's popular is not doing it for you, but like, there's something about the attitude and frankly, being like, hard guitar music right that Mm -hmm. like speaks to us and that i think is true in in hardcore punk and in country right yeah um
1: yeah no i totally agree um on the subject of of age of age difference the last time i saw them i was like me and ashton were two of the youngest people there the only people younger than us were punks
0: yeah of course (laughs) absolutely yeah man so many like yeah i i I mean, we'll talk about this later. The time I got to see uh, Steve Earle and Billy Bragg together, which was 10 years ago, almost exactly. Um, I feel like everybody in the crowd was either like, you know, middle-aged or older, like the, the kind of people that like go to the Newport Folk Festival every year mm-hmm. um, and can afford to every year or yeah. um, punks. You know what I mean? Like totally. Um, well, Tyler, dude, Thank you for sharing like about your journey. Like I'm, I'm, I have so many questions, but I feel like there's a lot of things that we can like get to over the course we'll get of doing to them. this podcast yeah. together. Um, let me do kind of a quick like background on myself, like how, yes. do, how do I do got your into it. Yeah, right on. So I'll say similarly, and I credit this to my stepdad who passed away a few years ago. Um, he was into, you know, classic country. Right. So with him, I, we would listen to Willie Nelson, George Jones, like Johnny cash, all that stuff. And he was not huge into Steve Earl, but he had Copperhead road. And that's another thing that I think is so cool about this is like, you and I are both huge Steve Earl fans, obviously, or we wouldn't be doing this, but we had very different entry points, like it, and like records and stuff. That's so fascinating. I think mine is probably a more, common one because the first thing i heard was like the most popular songs mm-hmm. put out right uh like the, the the record that broke him and i think that tells you too about my stepdad he was never like a huge steve earl fan but he had copperhead road
1: yeah but right? he had the you know? popular record right? yeah, he yeah. had the
0: popular one so i was familiar with it and and similarly i went through like as a younger person first getting into music really loving it when i was a teenager and started getting into like metal hardcore punk more, I didn't never like totally turn my back on that music or like say like, fuck that, I hate it. I just didn't care, you know? And when it would come up, you know, especially, you know, growing up where I did in in Memphis and Mississippi, people, you know, would around, would would talk about like pop country music that was on the radio. And so I found a way to like apply my like, you know, snotty ass punk attitude even to that and be like, shouldn't be listening to that crap. You should be listening to the highwaymen. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like I would, you know, so I was uh, an insufferable 16 year old country elitist in that way. But um, you know, country wasn't something, it was something I had an appreciation for, but I didn't really keep up with Mm -hmm. the thing that sparked so much of like, you know, me becoming a huge Steve fan and just having such a deeper appreciation for country folk americana whatever you want to call it um so actually 20 years ago 2002 um there's a man named brian 20
1: years ago was 2002
0: that's right that's right so i (laughs) went to there was a there was a club in memphis called the map room where a good friend of mine Uh, ran sound and they were, you know, they did all kinds of shows. We did hardcore shows there sometimes, but there was something going on every night. There was an open mic and there was a man named Brian Hartley who would come and play because he lived downtown, just a few blocks from the venue. And my friend, Chris, who's a fellow hardcore kid was like, if you're not doing anything tonight, you need to come down and hear this dude play. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not doing shit tonight. So let me come down there. He played, just him on acoustic, a mix of his own stuff. And then a few covers. One of those covers was Someday by Steve Earle and that I did not know was a Steve Earle cover until I talked to him about it later. I had assumed he wrote the song because there's a Memphis line in it, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so we started talking, getting to know him. We became fans and I don't remember exactly how it came up, but he was like, would you want to, I know you play guitar. Would you want to do a band? So, that's how Half Acre Gun Room started, um, which was a band I was in from uh, then around 0203 until I moved here to New York, you know, five. Um, we put out one LP, um, which was on Death Wish with their imprint, Icarus. Uh-huh. Um, had a chance to play a lot of awesome shows and tour off of that, but um, nobody really knew what to do with us. And I don't blame them, especially like looking back. Um, I remember... You know, we we weren't country enough for the country shows. And when we'd play a punk show or a hardcore show, there was like a, a there would always be like a few kids in the room that really got it and appreciated it. Mm-hmm. And then a few other kids who were like, this band has gun in their name. I thought we were going to be able to fucking mosh. What is this? And then would clear the room. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was mad at the time, but I look back now and I'm like, yeah, dude, I don't blame you. You're there, to mosh. Um, so, but knowing Brian and playing in that band with him, he developed my appreciation for Steve Earle. So he made me CDRs of so many records. Um, and we started, we did someday as a full band and I really loved it too, because then we could do it more like the record where Brian would play mm-hmm. the acoustic part and I would come in with the dump dump. Um, it was a cover we did in most of our sets and I really, really loved it. Um, So he is the person I give the most credit for introducing me to Steve. And then the other thing that was significant about that time is as I was getting more of an appreciation for Steve's catalog is right when the Jerusalem record came out. Mm -hmm. And as a like, you know, I definitely like my, my connections between being a hardcore kid and veering into like radical left politics were coming together all at that time. And it was also a time where if, you know, you immediately post 9-11, if you dared to suggest, like, maybe invading this country that didn't have anything to do with this is, I don't know, maybe not the best idea. You were, you know, branded a traitor, a terrorist sympathizer, like all those things. So Steve putting out that record and John Walker's blues in particular. Yeah. Sorry. No, that'll be an easy stopping point. Gotcha. Um, So Steve putting out that record and John Walker's blues in particular, um, it's not only that I appreciated the political statements that he was making, but it was a country dude making that statement. It was a Southern dude like me making that statement. And so I felt a kinship there um, and an appreciation that lived on. And I think the other things that I would add quickly are, you know this is me thinking very like highly of myself but like from there on there were so many like similarities in our pathway like we moved to new york around the same time um you know washington square serenade the first time i heard uh tennessee blues i was like oh my god this says so much about like yeah memphis will always be my home but goodbye guitar town i'm here now yeah Um, and obviously that was a long time ago and now I've like, I married a native New Yorker, like we're raising our family here. This is home. Her whole family is here. Um, but like, it's been amazing to kind of like keep up with that and, and hear him still putting out amazing records as like a, you know, fully in touch with his country roots and identity as a Southern person, but also having been a New Yorker now for, you know, 17, 18 years. Um, yeah, so That's a, that's a lot of my connections to Steve. And I've just had the privilege too of getting to, to see him a few times. And as I've shared with you, like having the opportunity to talk to him and, you know, let's be real, not like in-depth conversations. Mm -hmm. We're talking about like a minute by a merch table, but every time him being like, so kind, like just, you know, taking the time out to shake a hand, to sign an autograph, to like listen. And, um, it's just like, it's awesome to see him still doing what he does. Um and and kind of feel like that there's just as I've grown different levels of kinship that and connection that I feel beyond just the music, but oh man, the music too. Right. So mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah no
1: and and I like on the subject of like you know radical politics and whatnot, like I've always like been a punk. So I'm always gonna feel like counter like counterculture and Um, especially being somebody who's held a job at the same business for over half my life at this point, which is terrifying to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, like I've, I've worked, (laughs) I've worked really hard, like to, to be on my own, to, you know, hold up my end of everything and not rely on a handout or anything like that from anybody. Like I have had help at times, but I've, you know, I've, I've rarely ever like wanted to ask and I've always kind of wanted to stand on my own feet and not be a burden on anybody else. And I think like listening to music sang by someone who is from, from the South, from um, who sounds like people I know, yep like and hearing him like convey the same frustrations that i have with the world in this way that like we I've, we've talked about this before like it isn't isn't condescending yes um i think and that's and that's where that's where like i think like well <laughs> i say the left but like the left actually does communicate pretty well. Democrats can communicate very badly, okay. um, but uh, I think that's where like we miss out is in like it's it happens every year when Mitch McConnell gets reelected in Kentucky, mm. and everybody says "way to go, Kentucky," and it's like, come on, yeah, I didn't vote for him, right? I know a lot of people who didn't vote for him. There's a whole section of the state that literally has no political education has no education and it's it's one thing to me to and and it's and it's with with steve earl it's just funny because he's in this niche Mm -hmm. where he has never he's bernie sanders of country music like he's never changed
0: (laughs) yeah that's true (laughs) he's never
1: he's never changed he's he's been the same guy He's had the same attitude he's he's become more radical in ways yeah. and 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 chiller in other ways over time but like it's but he'll never be mainstreamed because he can't be yeah it's um I, I listened to and this is way off of off topic but I think like Steve Earl the fact that Steve Earl like, can never be mainstreamed is is similar to this but um I heard something once, uh, or I heard a podcast talking about the movie Avatar mm. and how it was the biggest movie ever at the time. Yeah, and it was for a while. And it is a movie that doesn't fit into any of our, our um, like our ideological zeitgeist as a culture. It has right. been removed because if you actually keep Avatar around in your head you'll go burn down a skyscraper. Yo. Yeah. (laughs) Like you, you actually can't, you can't in your right mind constantly like confront like a sub subject matter like that and not feel completely radically insane.
0: Right. Like the cognitive dissonance will just tear you apart. Yes. And
1: that's, and that's where like it at, at times like, I think like, fuck if everybody could just fucking, if, if instead of YouTube being automatically downloaded on everybody's fucking phones, the revolution starts now. Could be <laughs> downloaded on <onto> everybody's <laughs> phones. Like, what a different world we could have, where Yo. like a massive amount of people in this in this country who have been completely misled for all of their you know their um, their self interest could hear somebody who sounds like their uncle.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's so much of the power. Explain right?
1: to them that the CIA is bad.
0: <laughs> yes, a thousand percent. I mean, and, and you, you're talking too about how like, and he's been who he is from the start, right? I th- like randomly the other day, and I'm thinking about this a lot in the wake of like Roe v. Wade being overturned. It's like Steve Earl making the point somewhere back in like 1983 somewhere before he popped big of just like, well, you know, the, I knew you know, rich folks were always f- able to find abortions. His girlfriend.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. He had like, a girlfriend. He had a girlfriend who had an abortion because her dad was in abortion was illegal, but her dad was a doctor.
0: Her dad was a doctor. That's right. That's the story. And, right. And, and so,
1: and she could get an abortion at the hospital because and, her dad was a doctor.
0: Right. And, and him he, able to recognize how radically different the trajectory of all their lives would been if they had been mm-hmm. forced at that young age to have that child. Right. Yeah. Um. And that, and just speaking about that, like you said, they're not condescending, just very like matter of factly, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's not. And he's like, I, I just want everybody to have the same rights that the privileged few have. Right. Yes. Um, So fuck. Yeah, man. This is like, I'm just, I'm thinking right now, Tyler, like, you know, we've, we've alluded to this a little bit, right. But our plan and, and we'll, we'll have some like some good bonus stuff, some things around the fringes too. But the core of what we're going to attempt to do here is kind of go record by record, right? And do some deep dives (laughs) and a song by song. And again, not presenting ourselves as experts, historians, anything like that, but primarily, Mm -hmm. you know, going through this, like through the lens of fandom, right? And so the the primary experience is going to be one of, who we are as listeners. If it's stuff that we're really getting hip to for the first time, I'm so excited for that. Cause there's things in the catalog, both studio albums and live stuff that we're both not hundred percent familiar with. So there'll be like fresh ears and fresh reactions. And then for the stuff that we are familiar with, like a chance to talk about it, both just from a, a musical and lyrical content perspective, but also like, Hey, Whoa, this is, this has taken me back. Like there's always going to be something about some of those, like, you know, whether it's uh, Jerusalem revolution starts now where I'm like, you know, it's 2003. I'm sitting in my, um, you know, beat up Ford F-100 listening to fucking air America radio, um, you know, and, and like trying to think about how I can, you know, convince the people around me that I care so much about that, like, george w bush is not your friend <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean yeah
1: no so, politician is your friend
0: absolutely absolutely but at that time like having a singular focus and feeling like i had an ally in steve Earle if nothing else mm-hmm. you know
1: yeah and i mean dude that's uh like with um with the inclination record that's coming out this year like I, like steve Earle's massively affected the way i write uh lyrics we'll get to it at some point but yeah i I stole steve or steve earl lyrics on the inclination lp
0: um oh yeah
1: but uh i um like one of my like I, i said it in or i i typed it in an interview that is going to some germany magazine or whatever um the other day but i uh i was talking about one of the things that i was trying to convey in this record is like just being honest about my feelings on things, how I feel about myself, how I feel about a lot of different things in the world and with the thought that like, if I've thought it, statistically speaking, someone else has had the same thought. Yep. If that person can hear this and feel like they're not alone. Yep. And that's Steve Earl's made me feel not alone.
0: 100%. So Tyler, I think I think that's a really good point to close episode zero on. All right. Yeah. Well, well said. Um, So we just want to thank everybody for listening and give you an invitation to feel less alone with our buddy, Steve, as well. And I'm excited for for y'all to take this journey with us.
1: Absolutely. Next episode, Guitar Town.
0: Guitar Town. All right.